Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. pretty well didn't it <laughs> uh, hello richard welcome to my channel over and over and over again i've got my video sorted out this week so i'm quite happy about that which is good um obviously um it's the fourth edition of the positive arsenal podcast um the fourth one already which is good as you can see i've got some um, some guests with me um tonight just before we introduce them just if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet please do so because um this is the first time it's actually going out on facebook as well as on youtube so if you're watching on um, please come across and, and subscribe. If you like this video, please give it a thumbs up as well. Um, and I say, if you've got any comments as well about anything as we go along, just um, drop them in the box. That'll be great. Um, right. Okay. So first of all, then joining me tonight, we've got Melvin again. Um, back again. You've been on before, haven't you? Are you all right? Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Great. I really enjoy coming on this channel. Lovely. Thanks very much. Nice. It's a pleasure, pleasure to have you on. And of course, we've got our, our regular, well, he seems to be regular at the moment, Andrew, back again as well. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, seems like I'm your co host. Yeah. As often as me. It's great to be on again. Thank you very, ever so much for having me. And we've got a newcomer to this channel. Obviously, he's not a newcomer to us. It's Mike, of course, who uh, usually is asking us questions that we can't answer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to be able to actually have a little chat about Arsenal instead for a change. 
Yeah, thanks very much, Richard. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on, sir. No, no, no problem. It's, it's, it's always a pleasure to to speak to you. Um, so I say what we're going to start with really is obviously we're we're back in um, Premier League action this um, this weekend after the international break, which I know was quite annoying for everybody. And it's not the easiest game to come back to, is it? Manchester City away, not a ground that we've done particularly well on over recent years. Um, understandably so, when you look at how much difference there's been in, in the in the teams, I guess. Um, obviously, we, we it's important, I think, an important game for us. And of course, as well, the possibility of um, a certain new player might be playing, which is even more exciting. So, um, Melvin, I'll start with you. What's your kind of thoughts going into the game on Saturday? How do you feel it might go for us? Well, I'm, I'm very, like I said before, before we started, I'm very excited now, which is hasn't been the stat the last few years. I'm excited, looking forward to the game. Really looking forward to it. Not just because of the international break. Every week I'm looking forward to the game, break or no break. So, no, um, I think uh, I'm quite confident. I think we could uh, do OK. But, but can't be worse than we've been doing the last few years up there. So, I think we will see a vast improvement. And with the team, it's the team he would probably pick, not me. So, his team will obviously be better. But I'll probably be going with something like Leno, obviously, in goal, holding Louise and Gabriel. Uh, Bellerin and uh, AMN left back, uh, left wing back, because obviously Tierney can't play because he plays for Arsenal. I won't let him play. I think any other <laughs> club would have someone playing, wouldn't they? Anyway, yeah, hang on with that one. I don't think I'd like to see him play. I don't think he'll play party straight away. I don't think he will. Oh, okay. I don't think he will. But he'll stay with Jacker and Silvaios in the middle and the front three. I think it'll probably be, um, obviously, a Bamiang, probably Lacquer up front with on the right. He might go Pepe. Yeah, I think he'll probably go Pepe. Yeah. I was thinking of Saka, actually, because they do to have a little bit. I'll yeah. probably Saka, actually, because a bit more control on the wings, so, you know, to, to um, you know help help out defensively. Yeah, Saka on the right. Though it's not his position, I think he will play in there. Well, he's played there a couple and of I times think, before, haven't he? So... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's he, He's got such good the way he receives the ball. He's not though he's one footed. Mm. It doesn't make a big difference to him because he's so confident the way he receives the ball. He doesn't have to be in like one position. And also he does use his right foot from time to time. Yeah. It's not like some of our other one footed players that only use it to stand on. He actually <laughs> uses the other leg. So no, I think they could play that. I think we'll get a draw. I really do. I think it'll be a one all draw. Well, I'm sure we'd uh, we'd all take that now. I would have thought. <laughs> but what about yourself, Andrew? What do you think about the um, obviously the game and the lineup we might do? Do you think Party might start? I hope so. I really do. Um, I really do hope he, he plays, and I think he might play. I think he might surprise everyone and surprise um, Pep as well. I think he might actually go for it. Um, the way to beat them, as you know. <laughs> Everyone's shown lately is to just get them in a in a running race uh, at the back. So mm. I think he might go with pace up front, and I'm wondering whether he might just uh, surprise everyone and go with a four three three tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow at the weekend, sorry. Um, I last heard uh, and I saw on Twitter that it's not definite that Tierney ain't playing. No, it's um, not definite yet. No, they're still they're still in um, in negotiations with all the authorities yeah. by the time of it, and they haven't had a this final decision yet. I think it's going to be tomorrow, and they'll definitely no. I mean, if if he's fit, I think that's going to be a massive or not fit, but if he's able to play, it's going to be a massive bonus, isn't it? Because I think he's oh absolutely been a massive I, player for us, hasn't he? I don't think they've got a leg to stand on stopping him playing. No, I, I don't see how they he's can. He's not in honestly. Scotland anymore. You know, he's uh, he's in England and he's tested negative several times. So yeah, no, I don't, I know don't why see what the issue is. 
No. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on the, the proviso that he is playing because I I would have um obviously you know, Leno in goal, but I'd have him at the left back obviously, Bellerin right back, and um Gabriel at the left centre half and it's a tough one, probably Louise, but um you know, I would personally I'd go for Gabriel and Holding or if he's actually fit, I may even um, go for Chambers. Chambers and uh, Gabriel, personally. I think that might be quite a good pairing in the uh, interim. But I'd have um, Xhaka on the left-hand side of a, th- a midfield three. Uh, well, this is not... I, I wouldn't, actually. I would have Saka on the left of a midfield three. But I think uh, if he was doing it, he'd have Xhaka. Uh, then Ceballos pushing forward a bit more than he normally does. Party on the right of the midfield three. And then up front, I would have um, Aubameyang down the middle. Pepe on the right. And um, probably... Yeah, no, it's tough one. No, Aubameyang on the left. Lacazette down the middle. Pepe on the right. That's what I'd uh, probably go for, personally. And, uh, you know, definitely use the pace of uh, Pepe and... um, Aubameyang to get in behind them and get them into a running race. Well, yeah. I mean, what, what about in, in terms of the of the result? What do you think the, the result might be? I know I'm, it's difficult to know until we see the team, I suppose, but... If I'm, really, think, I'm positive, really positive about it. I think we're going to do them. I think we'll, we'll do them 2-1, 2-0. probably go for 2-0. I think we're going to... Uh... Oh, thank you very much, Jonathan. I was going to say, Jonathan's a fan, Andrew. That was a good show, the Bernard Butler one, actually. That was brilliant, that. Yeah, I really um, enjoyed that show, yeah. yeah, yeah I had a good one yesterday, actually. Really interesting chat about that, uh, you know, the, the Premier League situation at the moment. Um, which yeah. Is really interesting. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm, regarding the result, I I don't... I look, I look at Pep at the moment, and, I mean, this is going back to the semi-final, and I've mentioned this a few times, but he looks like a broken man on the, 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 final, the semi-final, and... You just look at his face and look into his eyes. He just looks like he's uh, he's finished. At the yeah, moment. I, just, I, I it was nice actually today. Did you hear Arteta's interview? He sort of said uh, he was asked about whether he thinks Pep's going to sign a new contract at City, and he said obviously he didn't know, but he did say that he just wants him to be happy. And I thought that was a really nice thing to say because obviously they're yeah. good mates, aren't they? And I thought that was really nice of Arteta actually. You know, to, to say he wants him to be happy. I, I do think if he wants to be happy, he needs to get away from Manchester City quite sharply. But we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I haven't seen the. Uh, anything yet i've just uh just got in from work just before we started here so um yeah i'll have to watch that when, when we finished it yeah no, it's, it's, it's good it's good i said it's nice that he's you know he, they're still mates obviously but hopefully on saturday they, uh, they'll put that aside like they did in the fa cup game and um you know let battle commence as it were i mean what about yourself mark what are you thinking about the game on on saturday what, what would be what teams do you think you, you would go with if it was if you was arteta <laughs> wow um if it was me I would do something um, similar to what Andrew said, a 4-3-3. Uh, I would surprise uh, Pep. I think um, he will start Thomas Party. Uh, I, looking at his com- uh, news conferences, he doesn't ever give anything away specifically. But then if you look back at his news conferences after games, there's some very subtle clues. Um, and uh, I'm trying to remember the last one, but he was asked if Sarah was going to play or not. Um, and I think it was talking about William Saliba, and he gave us a clue. And then, of course, a few weeks later, we find out Saliba's not even involved. And you look back at the news conference, and you you see him almost say that. So I watched the news conference today, 
And mm. um, he only gave me the impression that he's going to play him. And and the yeah, thing, that's what I thought, yeah, yeah. The thing with me is, he said that Thomas Party was ready to play. Um, mm. And I think it's quite simple. I think he's probably put it to Thomas Party and said, "What do you think? I would like to play you. What do you think?" Because it's not easy to just chuck him in against Manchester City away. And from Thomas no. Party point of view, I would say that you know, people are saying he's never played in the Premier League. Well, he has played against uh, these teams in the Champions League and he's played in England. He's done it quite a few times. So I don't think he's quite as fresh um, uh, as, you know, uh, all this is as new to him as people are making out. Um, so I think mm. that they're going to put him in. And I also think that the people who think he's going to play defence in midfield, I, I don't think that's going to happen. It may happen once in a while. But I think that the reason that he signed for Arsenal, beyond any other reason, is the frustration at Atletico Madrid playing for arguably a, a more high-profile team, is that he's been kept in a cage. And he's been play, played in a very tight structure, played as a defensive midfielder, given a certain role. And you watch him for Ghana, Richard, and I watched him for Ghana twice this week. It was kind of painful watching that. But um, I watched him, and he plays as a box-to-box midfielder, almost as a number 10 sometimes. And they just let him... How about it? And he is the most exciting player I've seen sign for Arsenal in I don't know how long. He has everything. And I knew that before I watched him play for Ghana. But the guy can break lines on the dribble. Um, he can pass like no other. He can anticipate. He can destroy. He can do the whole thing. So I think mm-hmm. I think that it's not too big of a risk uh, to play him. And I think he'll play. So to the lineup, I would I would go with um, uh, Leno, Bellerin, who's been playing well recently if Tierney can play of course Tierney at left back in a four um if not then that changes everything um and then I played Louise and Gabrielle the midfield might be interesting to many people but I think that we're going to see this in time um which is Ainsley Maitland-Niles playing as the central left midfielder uh, of course he's arguably been playing that anyway when he plays as the left wing back yeah, yeah, yeah. if you actually watch the game you know we all watch the game He's spending most of his time at central left, left midfield as far as positionally on the field. He's always wanted to play there. I think they've been waiting for this moment to unleash him. And I think, I'm not sure if it'll happen on Saturday, but I hope it does. I'd play Maitland-Niles on the left, uh, Thomas Partey on the right, and let them go box to box. And like Andrew says, I think he's going to surprise him. And I'd play Danny Savios as the defensive midfielder. And if you watch him recently, he's been playing that role more as a, as a two, but he looks very comfortable being... Um, the, the the ball carrier and he's also vastly improved his defensive game uh, beyond where Granite Xhaka is up front. I'd play Saka on the left. Give us some. You got to have width on one side, and then I bring Pepe in, and I bring Pepe in because Pepe needs to play for Arsenal. Like Mohamed Salah plays for Liverpool and play inside as an inside forward, get close to the goal uh, to get those assists and shots off. And then I play uh, Abamyang as a centre forward. I'm not sure that that's going to happen tomorrow, but. So if you ask me to be the coach, then that's what I would mm. I would do, Richard. No, no. I mean, that's an interesting point because I do think that the, the formation is going to evolve into something similar to that. I'm not sure how quickly that's going to happen. I don't think it's... He, he, I'll tell you today, he's only, had, he's only going to have one training session, basically, with the whole squad back from international duty. So um, I don't know whether or not he's got enough time to work on a new formation um, in time for this game, possibly, but we'll, but we'll see. I mean, it's interesting what Jonathan says there about the City. Obviously, they've got Technically, a few injuries. I don't think De Bruyne is actually going to miss the game. I think De Bruyne will no, play, I've got to be honest. Um, I know they've got no strikers fit by the sound of it. It's amazing that a club with that many resources hasn't got any extra strikers they can play. Someone from the from the academy or or somewhere. But anyway, it's up to it's their, it's their choice. If they go with no strikers again, 
then that's playing into our hands maybe a little bit. I don't know. But we'll see what happens. I mean, it's good that Aguero's not playing because he generally scores against us, doesn't he? So um, so that's uh, that's one probably positive from that point of view. But I mean, I, I think Thomas Partey will start. I, I don't think it'll be a different system. though. No. I think he'll still go with a 3-4-3. Three, three, um, and I think it'll be probably Xhaka and Partey in midfield. Um, I think Ainsley will play on the left, Bellerin on the right, and then... Um, probably a Bamiang Lacazette. And I think he might go with Willian just for his extra experience at these type of games, maybe ahead of maybe Pepe or Saka, possibly. Um, thing with, the good thing about um, Arteta is we never know, do we? We can never read what he's going to do because every every time the team comes out before every game, there's always one or two little surprises in there, isn't it? You think, oh, I wasn't expecting him to start or I wasn't expecting them to start. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was one or two of them um, as well coming. So we'll see. But, you know... Um, and um, a, a, a resident Man City fan, Michael, says, uh, yeah, he thinks he's fit to play. Yeah, I'll, I'll be amazed um, if uh, if De Bruyne, sorry, doesn't play. I'll be amazed if he doesn't, because I don't think he was really injured, was he? It was more of a, a precaution that he was pulled out of the Belgium squad. So I'll be surprised if he's not playing. Obviously, I hope he's not playing because it'll help us, but I think he, he probably will. Um, sort of moving away from that sort of game, I know Andrew did mention it a little bit earlier, just about this sort of project big picture that's obviously been in the news this week, um, it's been sort of rejected, hasn't it, by the clubs overall. But I think it's obvious that there's going to be some changes happening in the structure of football in this country, probably coming very soon. Um, you know, I think this is going to come back in a different form at some point quite soon. So, I mean, I don't know what you guys sort of thought of it all. I mean, obviously, I thought there was one or two sensible options in there, actually. And there was a few that maybe wasn't so workable, which is probably why it got, it got rejected. I mean, what were your thoughts on it, Melvin, sort of overall about the... The, the, well, the restructuring of the of probably football in general, actually. I thought the um, what I read about it. I thought that the um, <clears throat> the idea is quite good on the on on the face of it. But when you dig a bit deeper, you see that there's a, all of a sudden there's a cartel going to be formed, which will be no good for football at all. They they they. I think it will be restructured. I don't think, for example, the the, the league cup should be done away with. All right, we might not think it's that good. There's a lot of clubs in the lower divisions that earn a lot of money out of it for them. So it should, perhaps it should be a league cup, league cup just for league teams and not for the uh, premiership. Perhaps that might be something to be structured differently. And as for how the, um, all this one rule, one vote, one club's going to go out the window, it's going to be the top six have nine, like 50% of the votes. That can't happen. As I say, it's a cartel. It's bad for the, for the game, but yeah, yeah. the way things are, they're putting a gun to the football league's head. Because a lot of clubs will go out of business. They're in a bad state to begin with. And now this COVID thing, they're in a yeah. right state. Yeah. So yeah. it might be, we'll own 90% of you, or we'll own nothing of you, but you won't even exist. So I think hopefully the uh, Premier League will come back with a watered-down version. That is to say, Football League, don't get rid of it, but let the lower clear clubs play among themselves. And also with the uh, the top six having most of the votes, no. That shouldn't happen. It should be, uh, the vote should be equal, whoever you are in the division, and every club should have the same vote. If they do something yeah. like that, then because otherwise they can pass whatever they like. They can say, yeah. we're no one's getting relegated anymore. You know what I mean? It, it, it's too much power. And football shouldn't be about power, though it is to a degree. It should be about the best team wins and not the one with the most power wins. Yeah, no, no, completely. I don't think anybody would disagree, would disagree with that either, really, would they? I mean, that should be how it is, but unfortunately, that's not how it's 
seems to be evolving, does it, over the last no. few years, unfortunately. You know, and I know Arsenal maybe get tied into it, you know, because we are technically one of the big six, aren't we? Um, because, but I do feel as though we are run in a slightly different way um, to some of the other bigger clubs. But anyway, I mean, what about yourself, Andrew? What, what are you sort of made of all of this um, kind of a project, uh, you know, big picture and all that kind of stuff that's gone on? Well, it's, I agree with, with Melvin and most, well, pretty much everything you said. I think it's... Um... When you look through the proposals, I don't see what all the massive furore is, is about, really. Um, we've got to do something with regards to helping the rest of the football pyramid. And um, yes, the Premier League are going to be giving away more uh, of the money. But when you consider that it's going to be two teams less in the Premier League, the reduction should be sort of a... You know, taking into account really, when you, it's got to be shared between eighteen teams instead of twenty. So the mm. the clubs remaining in the yeah. Premier League aren't going to lose out too much. So yeah, I don't really like the idea of um, the League Cup going. I don't like the idea of B teams going into the Football League uh, mm. either. But apart from that, I don't see what the massive issue is personally um what i don't want more than anything is one of the european super leagues starting because that'll be the end of football yeah, as well yeah. and if this will placate all the the top teams uh, from doing that at least for the time being and uh, a few years then i'm all for it and, and the the last thing really that you've got to sort out is to just break away from Sky and BT and, and, and sort it, sort this out and have their own channel like I've been going on about for ages. Yeah, like set yeah. up a Netflix-style channel whereby you can, as a fan, either pay one fee for a season ticket for your club only or add a bit extra so you've got the season ticket for the entire league that your team is in. Or thirdly, add a bit more extra on top again and have a season a season ticket for all divisions. That way you're opting in to provide funds for, for the football pyramid yourself as a fan as well. Hmm. Yeah. Um, even if you don't watch it, you've got the op option of watching some games in the lower leagues and also helping them out at the same time. And you imagine if it's a streaming online streaming service like, like Netflix and you've got people all over the globe doing that, then the lower league clubs are going to make so much more money than they do now. I mm. mean, at the moment, I think League One and League Two, to, um, uh, as, a, as a whole, get about a million pounds between all of them. Mm. There's absolutely no way on earth that they mm. won't make tons more than that if they open it up to fans to actually subscribe directly all across the world. Even Stockport County, I bet, have got like fans you know spread across the globe and uh, i bet they wish they could i bet they wish they could watch all the home and away games so i think it just makes so much sense it's it's i don't understand what's uh, why they're not doing it sooner and i, th I understand that the, in march the um the rights are up for negotiation again so i really wonder whether it just won't go to a bidding Rights and they'll do. They'll actually jump and go for it, and I hope they do. Yeah, yeah. Sky can't afford that to happen, though, can they? Sky 
Sky can't. No, of course they can. Like well, Sky can't, but, uh, Sky can't, but they're asking money from... Still ask for money back after everyone putting themselves in danger last last season to finish the league, which they did, and we finished it really, really well. And they still want money back because they <laughs> it wasn't the product they paid for. I mean, get out of here! I mean, God's sake! You know, you got to get. They're making enemies stuff. at the wrong time, aren't they, Andrew? Really, absolute ridiculous yeah, yeah. decision. And uh, I mean, that's just shooting themselves in the foot, and they deserve everything they get. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I agree. I mean, you know, a lot of people seem to be against the, uh, you know, the big six getting extra voting rights, which I think we'd all agree with, even though technically we are one of the big six. But I wouldn't want it to be like that. It needs to be more spread out across football in general, because the top six aren't the only clubs that matter in football, are they? You know, and I, I'm I'm confident enough in my club, our club, that we can we can survive and be successful regardless of how it's reorganised. Um, maybe other clubs haven't got that confidence in their own um, stability. I mean, Mike, what do you think about it? I'm quite interested to know what, what you think about all this, actually. Yeah, I think that, the, um, first of all, I loved what Melvin and Andrew said. There's, um, you've got a great panel here, Richard, so kudos, man. There's just fascinating listening to them talk about this. And so I've got some of the same thoughts, some of the different thoughts that I have. Um, I actually think that Rick Parry, who I think has been the main guy thrust behind this, I've got a feeling that there might be more to this than meets the eye and that he knew, or these people who've organised this knew, and I think it's more than Liverpool and Manchester United, by the way. Um, I think that they knew that the only, way, the only way to get people to the table, to get these all the Premier League to the table, was to do what they did because uh, I'm going to be a de- bit of a detective here again, Richard. Um, but did you know that every one of the 20 clubs voted against the proposal, even the people that brought it? So that makes me think oh. that... The motive, yeah. The motive, yeah, weird. The motive was to get people to the table. It was maybe 16, 17 voted against it. Yeah. Well, I think the motive was to get everybody to the table. So they've gone and put a proposal down that they knew would not be um, accepted. And so they have an alternative plan, which is uh, now being worked on. But they had to do that in order to get everyone to the table. But um, my personal thoughts on what they have thrown forward so far, Richard, um, I think that the League Cup uh, being scrapped, I would not do that. I'll tell you what I would do. I'd take yeah. away the European place from that because uh, for clubs like we're selfish, so from Arsenal's point of view, and I'm trying to be unselfish here, if you take away the League Cup, um, then that's one less competition that you have to offer to your squad players. So then all of a sudden, the, the standard of squads that top teams can have will drop because you can't play them all in the Premier League. So I like the Europa League. I like the League Cup. But I would take away the European spot, Richard, because if you take away the European spot, then coaches like Arteta and Klopp and these guys would not be tempted to try to win it, you know, because I think that's what's going on because there's a European place. If you take that away, then maybe they'll play the kids and I think everyone would be cool. We all know Mm. we're going to watch the kids. That's what it's for anyway. Uh, And also, I like, like Andrew said, I like some of the proposals. I like 18 teams in the Premier League. I think that would allow us to have a winter break. Don't put the winter break at Christmas. Everyone loves British football because of the maybe less games at Christmas. But don't take the winter break away. Have the winter break after, you know, in the new year, mid-January, where it gets colder as well for the players. Mm. Um, I think the Community Shield is a a bunch of nonsense. I've always thought that. Uh, I don't understand having a game between last season's um, winners of two competitions when the, they've both got transfers and new players and it's not actually the teams that just won the league in the FA Cup. I think that's a nonsense anyway. Um, I do think that what we might find, though, is that there'll be 
uh, they might get get rid of the third is it third division second division and they'll have instead of seventy two clubs plus Premier League they'll have um, I forget how many is in Division two now but they'll get rid of one of those and, and let's say there's twenty two teams so they'll have fifty professional have I got that right yeah fifty professional yeah. teams plus the Premier League so that when the money does get distributed you can actually um, help those uh, teams who are quote unquote professional because you're not spreading it around 72 teams. So I think we unfortunately might have to take that Division 2 and make it, you know, like the, the conference and make them semi-pro in order for the others to survive. Um, and then the last maybe thing... Re- maybe regionalise it as well, perhaps. Yeah, well, there's that too. There's, uh, you know, there's so many pieces to it. And then the last thing that I've always thought and never been given an opportunity to talk about is the Super League. You know, everyone says that this is a step to that. I don't understand why the Premier League is interested in the Super League because the Premier League has the Super League already. They have the most watched. I mean, I live in the USA. Uh, We have uh, unlimited coverage of Premier League. I get more coverage than you guys do. I know that's upsetting to hear, but the coverage here is unbelievable. The people that watch it is endless. and, And this is just the United States. I'm not talking about India and China and Africa where it's even more popular. I don't know why the Premier League are incentivized to go to a Super League um, because they have almost everything going for them anyway. I'll stop there. That's too much. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Just one, I mean, just one... Mark says just asked you a question about restructuring it. I mean, obviously, he's meant 18. Uh, you know, I guess it's just relegating more teams, isn't it? Maybe over two seasons or something, maybe relegating extra yeah. teams. Is that what you'd be thinking? Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you do it. Maybe it's brutal <laughs> to do it in one season and send two more teams down. Maybe maybe that's yeah, okay. Two yeah. Yeah, well, maybe do that in two seasons or what have you. But yeah, you have an 18-team league. I think everyone's been wanting that for a long time. But <laughs> there is a criticism of British football. It's just too much of it. So um, the Bundesliga has 18 teams. It's a better structure. Um, and, and let's do 18 teams. No, I mean, I, I would like to see that, actually. I, I, but how we do it is going to be difficult because, like you said, we can't relegate five teams in one season. I don't think that would be the right way to do it. It would be difficult to do. I mean, Michael seemed to disagree with you, wanting to make the, the pro club semi-pro, but maybe needs must. Maybe that's what it's going to be about, isn't it? Well, because, I don't, I don't, yeah. It's not I, what I would do, I, though, Richard. Ideally, you would not do that. Let me just put that straight. Yeah, that's not yeah, an idea. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not what you have. It's not what you want to do. It's not what I want to do. But if there's this much money and this much money fits this many clubs, not this many clubs, then you've got to do what you've got to do. And it's unfortunate that you might have to go to three professional leagues so you can actually keep everybody solvent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I, 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 I get that point, definitely. I mean, it is, unfortunately, we're in a situation now financially when a lot of the, the sort of smaller teams down in the lower divisions can't survive anyway as they yeah. as they are. And if we can try to make them survive, if it means them having to go semi-pro, then maybe that might have to be done at some point anyway, just because they can't survive as, as things stand, not at this moment in time anyway, not unless we can restructure it in a way to help them, which doesn't seem to be, well, it's not easy to sort out, is it? But having listened to you guys, it makes me feel that maybe they should get more fans involved in these decisions as opposed to just the executives at clubs who literally only care about themselves and the money they're going to make out of it. Yeah, you know, we line, isn't it? interest oh, other than other than we want to see the best for football because we're football fans ultimately and we want to see what's best for the game. And unfortunately, the people running football are more interested in how much money is at stake for them, I think. Um, and it would be it would be definitely a good idea to have more fan involvement. Yeah, go on, Andrew. 
I just want to bring up one one other thing as well because it's it makes sense to do it now rather than at the end, at the end of the show when we've sort of any other business part. What I'm concerned about is that um, the owners of these uh, the biggest clubs have seen during this period that we're under now that their clubs can quite easily survive and and, and actually thrive without any fans. Now, mm. these the owners aren't, you know, dyed-in-the-wall fans. They're not locals. They don't yeah. care. So what they're seeing at the moment is that their clubs are absolutely fine without fans coming into the ground. And this is what I'm concerned about. So, say for argument's sake, um, you know, they, they, they're they losing, uh, I don't know, say a million pound, whatever, a million pound per game. I'm sure that the savings that they are making... By not having to get the police, uh, the, the ground police, not having to get all the the um, people to, in to sell all the food, not having to get all the stewarding, not having to get the ambulance services and everything, which you've all got to pay for. Mm. I'm sure that the, the, the losses are minimal because they haven't got to outlay any of that money. Also, fans are a problem to clubs, you know, at the end of the day. Yes, they've got, they've got no... Um, Atmosphere yeah, in the ground. Our fans are a problem uh, sometimes. <laughs> well, this is the, the, the thing is, uh, you say that it's that we are at the end of the day, we are a problem because the, we, whether you like it or not, the, the owners of clubs don't see us as you know the, the lifeblood and of the club. What they see us as is as is a nuisance because you know just for something like um, the club being fined, you know for some racist abuse that some of the fans would, would come out with. Um, you know, that's a problem to the club. They don't, just think, they don't worry about the racist abuse. They just say, oh, God, we're going to have got a £2 million fine to pay or whatever. You know, it's, it's an issue. Yeah, so yeah. getting the fans out of the way to, to solve all that, and, and you haven't got any traffic congestion around the, you know, the, the stadium anymore. You haven't got to worry about all, all that sort of stuff. Fights breaking out. So let they would be quite happy, I'm sure, to go onto this streaming service and make the money that way. I'm sure some of the owners would. I'm sure some of the owners would. I mean, that's, Michael, that's, Michael that's makes a point about, about um, you know, no, uh, prefer no fans. I mean, coming from a Man City fan, that's quite funny, actually, seeing as after, after their games are played with no fans, when they were allowed in. <laughs> yeah, it will like, never happen. I, basically, no, I mean, It won't ever happen, of course. I mean, fans are important. I don't want it to happen. When you've got... The owners of the clubs are in a different country altogether. They don't yeah, care. Yeah. No, no, this is what I'm concerned that. about. Yeah, if no, you're, I think, I think if you're a supporter, like Man City support, for example, we've got all the money in the world, and they go down that route, we don't need home fans. Of course they need home fans. Number one, for home fans bringing more revenue than it costs you for the police and everything else, that's number one. Number two, you want the fans to get behind the club. Because after a while... The, the Man City fans, if they can't go to the game and everyone else is going to their home game, they're going to get fed up with it because not every club is as rich as Manchester City. And it's just it's just madness to think we're not going to have... Fact, we don't... Of course we want fans. It's There's no, nothing they, more... They, there's yeah, nothing better than Melvin, watching your Melvin, team I, score a I, goal I and you're there agree and you're with you. cheering. I 100% agree with you. Don't think this is my opinion. <laughs> I don't want this. I just said it's a, it's a worry of mine. 
that they can worried about it, Andrew. I, I really I don't. Can yeah, well, it, some it, owners, I can understand some owners are probably, I don't care if fans are in the ground or not. I, I can see that they, they might not do so for the reasons that you give. But I think everybody understands in football that fans in the ground is massively important, not only to the big clubs, but also to the smaller clubs as well, because even more so for the smaller clubs, that's, so, what them, that's what keeps them afloat, isn't it? Arsenal, Man City, Liverpool, Man United could survive from the, the fans all over the world that would pay to watch the streaming of the games. They would in their thousands and millions would pay. So Arsenal would be fine and the big clubs would, but it's the smaller clubs without fans have got no chance, absolutely no chance whatsoever. No, of course not. And well, uh, can I... Can I... What what rubbish have we actually mentioned about Man City today, by the way? I think that was me no. about the fans, them playing in front of no fans, but that was a joke. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, just, just a joke. You can't take back. I just think that with, with the smaller clubs... Fan as well, yeah. With the smaller clubs, they, they need the money because they don't get the television rights as the bigger club. But also, yeah. sometimes in certain grounds, the small clubs, it's like a gold start. They're so close yeah. to the pitch... The yeah, smaller yeah. grounds, yeah, they intimidate yeah. the opposition. Could have lucked to them as well, and you've got half a chance if you're not as as a, as big as the other club. You've got half a chance because your fans are behind you. And really, yeah, so you we're, we're seeing enough look, times. Look, look at Sheffield United. Sheffield United's results yeah. went yeah. off a cliff when uh, you know after sh- after lockdown, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, DWT's got a point there. Obviously, most fans in the world watch the games on telly because the stadiums can't fit them all in. As much as people probably like to be there, most people have no choice other than to watch them on TV, don't they, throughout the world. And it's, you know, so it is needed. We kind of need both, don't we? We need fans in the stadium and we need fans and audience on TV. And it's difficult to, to, I suppose, to get that balance right in terms of the finances and, and where it all goes, I guess. And that's what needs... That's what this is what they need to uh, uh, sort of sort out, don't they, going forward, really, and make sure that the money that comes in from TV is put out to the right people that really need it, you know, and and give a lot more to the smaller clubs to help them because they don't they don't really benefit from Sky, do they, very much, you know, League right. Two and stuff like that. They don't. And no, I'm saying and about a million to... quid per per, you know, for the league to share. Yeah. And Michael yeah. Salt, can we just say we're not saying that any about we don't need fans. Or anything like that. I've just raised the concern that owners of clubs that are in different countries across the world, and not talking about Man City in specifically at all, that they are seeing that their clubs are quite happily running along, still making lots of money without us fans. We're not saying that that's what we want or need or anything like that at all. We're completely against that. So just wanted to point that out, Michael. What I'm quite surprised about, over not just this year, but going back 10, 20 years, there hasn't been more bigger clubs, have feeder clubs, do a little bit of a deal with smaller clubs that are in not one division away, but two yeah. or three divisions away. They say, right, we're going to back you a little bit. We're not going to pay for all your players, obviously. We'll help you out, but we want first choice in any of your players that come through the ranks. And we, we're, and if the, I mean, the money we want to give you is not good enough, then you can go, you can sell your player whoever, to whoever you want to. But we I must mean, have we do, don't choice. we? we we do that would work both ways. We've got yeah, something we, we, more on wood, haven't we? Because of the women yeah. play there, and I think we've got some sort of relationship with them, haven't we? I don't know what, what how it works yeah, financially. Yeah, but we pay one million pound a year, don't we? Do you? Yeah, to the to first we, team. We pay them a million pound a year. That's just board. money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good. It's that yeah. well. That's another thing. Yeah, but I'm talking about a larger scale throughout the country. Yeah. No, no. I, I mean, not. That's what I mean, you see. That's what I said before. I, I do think that fans have a lot more understanding of, of 
how the, the football works as opposed to just the business, which is all that seems to get sort of mentioned, really. Mike keeps dropping in and out. I think his, uh, his signals must have uh, <laughs> must keep dropping out. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, Jonathan there talking about the, the merchandise of TV rights. Yeah. Mm. But, I mean, I, I don't think that's going to be the way it will go, actually. I, I think football will... I think there needs to be changes, but I don't think it's going to change dramatically. I think, obviously, fans might be coming back into the stadiums quite soon, hopefully, and we'll start to get things a little bit more um, back to how they, how they were, perhaps. But I certainly feel as though this this project big picture isn't going away. It's going to it's going to be something, you know, I think what Mike says might be true, actually, about getting the idea on the table, actually. And I think that could be, this is maybe the start of it. And, you know, they need to iron out a few more details, don't they, and make it right for everybody. But... Um, if it's the start of, of restructuring in a way that's going to be fairer for everybody, then I'm all in favour of it because I don't really like the way football's gone over the last 10 years in particular, You may, maybe even longer. So um, if we can get this sorted out now, maybe all this COVID stuff might help that because they've almost had to restart a lot of things because of the fans not being there and whatever. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, I definitely would be in favour of some sort of changes anyway. Um, somewhere along the line. Um, if we sort of move away from that now, otherwise we, we could be here all night talking about this because it is a big issue. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Um, the other thing I wanted to move on to, I know Mike's just dropped out again, um, is uh, obviously Arsene Wenger released his book this week. I don't know whether you guys have, have read it at all yet. I've read bits of it. I've only got it yesterday, so I'm on chapter four now, um, which is good. Um, but I don't know what you guys have made of it so far. I mean, have you have you got the book yet, Melvin? Have you had a look at it? I haven't got the book, but if I do get it, I'll only read the first half of it. Well, the first half, <laughs> not even at Arsenal. Yeah, I think the second half, oh, you don't, don't, don't even get to Arsenal then. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I've, I've literally um, got a, it's a six-hour six something audio book. Because oh, I missed right. the I missed the delivery yesterday. It's being re-delivered tomorrow. My my book. I got the uh, one of the signed copies, luckily from from Waterstone. So that's being re-delivered tomorrow. But I've got the audio book download as well. Uh, it's a six hour something um, long, and I've got about an hour and a half left. So I've got I listened to nearly all of it today. I have listened to some of it. I was told it was in French. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it's it's great though that he's got he's he's reading it himself. It it makes it so much better. It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, I've heard a clip of it. I, I, I thought. I mean, obviously, I've got the actual book. I've got it here. Yeah, I mean, can't I, wait for mine tomorrow. I heard. I've heard bits of clips of it. Obviously, with Arsene Wenger actually reading it, which made me wish I'd maybe done that as well because that'd be amazing to actually have him reading his book to you. That'd really good. Better. That would be quality. I've had to read it myself so far, but I'm enjoying it actually. It's, it's good to get an insight into his his early life, his childhood, and all that kind of stuff, which you know most of us perhaps wasn't really aware of exactly how he grew up and where he was and stuff. And it's it's been really interesting. Obviously, I haven't even got to the really good bit yet when he comes to Arsenal. He's just joined Monaco, where I'm at, um, so I've got to go through Monaco and obviously his spelling Japan as well first. But um, I'm really enjoying it actually, and it's. I know he's going to get a lot of criticism for it, and I know um, people have been saying that he doesn't go into the details about the some of the heavy defeats that we've had, you know, with the Man United game, all this kind of stuff, which I'm not really bothered about. We don't need to... He doesn't need to go into details about that. We know what happened. We saw it. Do you know what I mean? I, I, it's just more the insight I'm looking at, interested in his life, and it, it looks like he's very obsessed with football. Maybe in the end, that's what perhaps cost him a little bit, you know, his obsession with it all and uh, he threw everything into it, didn't he? Um, not only at Arsenal, but before that as well, he was the same. 
um, and maybe sometimes, um, you know, your uh, obsessions can not always be uh, make you think so clearly, maybe. And perhaps sometimes that might have been what happened to me a little bit in the end, I suppose. But I'll, we'll get on to that bit later on in the um, in the book, I suppose, when I get into it more. But I'll, I've enjoyed it so far. Um, and I think it's good that he's that he's brought it out now rather than maybe rushing it through perhaps, um, you know, uh, when he first left. I'm glad he's given it a couple of years for everybody to calm down a little bit. Although it does seem to be, I've heard quite a lot of rubbish going on social media last week or so about Arsene Wenger, really, which is, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he's, he's going to be alongside Sir Henry Norris and Herbert Chapman. He's, he's probably the third most important person in the history of the club, actually. Um, and he, that needs to be respected, whether or not we agree with how things ended and whether or not, whatever that is. I think in, history will show that in 10, 20, 30 years' time, his name will be mentioned alongside the, the most important people in the club's history. And I hope that he can actually finally get the respect he deserves um, for everything that he did, really. Have you seen the book yet, Mike? Have you have you read it yet? No, I've, I've uh, listened to it. Is it available uh, in America yet? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I've, I've uh, read all the clip, uh, the quotes and I've listened to about two or three interviews on the BBC. I was about to listen um, later today to the one he's just done with The Athletic with David Ornstein. That's probably interesting, but um, no, I haven't bought the book yet. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You, you're going to get it, you? You're going to get it. Wait, wait, wait. Um, Have you managed to listen to the London Palladium interview he gave? Yeah, yeah, I've watched that. that was well, very yeah. good. Very good interview. Yeah. The, yeah, the most interesting that, thing yeah. so far uh, actually hasn't come from the book. It's come from one of those interviews. It's um, that when we moved into the new stadium, we were put under like a, what, what you can call financial fair play by the bank. Yeah. And... Yeah. Basically, we weren't allowed to spend more than 50% of our annual income, complete income, on wages. And that was stipulated by the bank. Uh, and well before, you know, financial fair play was thought of or, and brought in uh, to the Premier League. So that is the reason why, you know, we were so bad. Uh, it was the bank. Well, yeah, we, we literally had, we went from selling 30-something players uh, to having to sell our players in their prime, you know, 23, 24, 25. I mean, um, one, of, one of the things that I think Wenger's never been given credit for is, you know, he he says, I mean, he's, he's going to probably be in a book, but he was in that, um, the thing he did at the Palladium, we were talking about it, when he knew that ten years for 10 years after moving into the stadium, it was going to be difficult and that he wouldn't be able to have the same success on the pitch as he had previously. And unfortunately, the fan base couldn't accept that or didn't accept that or didn't want to accept it and expected the, the, the mm. team to stay at the same level, even despite the fact moving. I mean, what other clubs built a stadium from scratch and maintained a level where they were before? Most of them ended up getting relegated, haven't they? Not many mm. not many clubs have done that. And yet, Arsene Wenger was able to stabilise us through that difficult time and keep us in the top four to bring the Champions League money in, which was so important. Um, but it's almost like all that's dismissed because we wasn't invincible anymore and we were losing 8-2 to Man United and we were losing 6-0 to Chelsea or whatever else it might have been. And it seems like the, the, the overall picture has been forgotten about just by a few silly results and the fact that he had to sell them players. Andrew said he had no choice. We couldn't keep them. We just couldn't afford it. We had to sell them. And yeah, but you're right. You're right, Richard. But just to play devil's advocate for a moment, it wasn't so much the 6-0, 6-2s and whatever, Liverpool 6-1s or whatever. It was the 2-1s away to Swansea. When we're one yeah, no, in the game, yeah, yeah. and you know what's going to happen, you know we're going to get beat. 
And those were they hurt me as much as a six twos, funnily enough. Probably more, actually. Probably more. Yeah, it could be more. Like, You're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's true. But I mean, I think that happens to everybody. I don't think you know. I, I don't think it. It wasn't like these were happening all the time, were they? It wasn't. It, it seemed to be what had happened was. I think after 2006 Champions League final, I think Arsene Wenger wanted to win the Champions League so much. He said it the other day, didn't he? That that would have been the perfect sort of end to that era of of that team winning it that year. And when we didn't, I think he was so determined to try and win it that he almost threw away other competitions. As soon as we got knocked out of the Champions League, every year the season fell apart, didn't it, for three or four weeks yeah. afterwards because he was so he was so disappointed. And I think everybody was so disappointed um, at the club because of that, really. And maybe that was didn't help really in in where we could have maybe gone. But I do think he probably did the best he could have done in the circumstances. And I don't think anybody would have done any better. In, yeah, and that's in the top I, four, as long as he did, with the with the quality yeah, of players yeah, that he had at his disposal. And the football we was played as well. The football we played unbelievable. as well. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What would, what would we give for that now? You know, yeah. it's yeah. it's just, um, that, that's amazing, you know, uh, feat of manager, management that, that he's got us got us to that stage but uh, he, and just, I think Michael, he just had overstayed his uh, he's overstayed yeah, he, he, he probably, he probably too, did. Long, too long didn't he Which I think Michael's comment, Michael's comment there is quite good because it, it kind of I think Arsene Wenger's got more respect from other clubs than he does from his own fans actually sometimes and it's, maybe, it's, maybe it's that's great. because people outside don't haven't experienced it to the same degree yeah. maybe but we'll see I mean go on, go on Mike you wanted to come in there yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to be a little bit of a devil's advocate here. So uh, my perspective of Arsene Wenger, much like everybody else, you know, the first however many years, the first half of his reign, um, uh, he was an absolute legend and still is in my eyes for what he's done, like you said, Richard, to transform the club. And he's responsible for so many positive things and, and much um, positive that's happening. Now you can feed back to Arsene Wenger. For me... Uh, and I'm a coach. I've been coaching for 30 years, and the things changed for me um, around about halfway through his reign. Where I had a United fan who's my best friend, and he was chipping away at me for years and years and years, and I would never accept what he told me. And he kept on saying to me, "He says, you know, because you're a coach." He said, "Arsene Wenger is um, was perfect for the team that he built." Um, to his credit. When he came and he had the best team in Europe, best team in the league, the best team in Europe, and he was perfect for that scenario because uh, he managed through his own um, on and off uh, the pitch skills to uh, bring a group of guys together that needed very little coaching. They were so good and, and the team he chose was so well balanced that we won. I'm not saying in spite of him because that's too dramatic. It's not the case. But we won because he was capable of doing that. When that changed and when the league changed and football changed and it became tactical, it was about halfway through Wenger's reign. At that point, I'm not saying we should necessarily have got rid of Wenger, but eyes needed to be wide open there. Because Arsene Wenger, in my mind, as much of a legend as I thought he was and still think he is, has never, in my mind, been a tactical coach. And when football changed and became tactical, because it did around about halfway through his reign, he struggled. And he and these results that you guys are talking about, and these disappointments, these were tactical games where he didn't have the best team on the field. His team was as good as, or maybe sometimes even better, but a tactical challenge was thrown out there on the field. And um, he was also not a sideline coach. He didn't want to help them during the game either, which always spoke to me about 
a little bit of lack of tactical understanding and game knowledge during the game. And I know that this doesn't speak to most Arsenal fans. They don't want to hear this. Just my opinion. But Arsene Wenger, um, probably for his own sake, needed to stop coaching Arsenal a while back when the game became that way because I think he exposed himself when the game became tactical. Also, I do agree... He does touch on that in his book, actually, a little bit. He does. It's more of the psychology of it all, more perhaps than that. That was what his style of management was, rather than. And I agree, he probably wasn't a, a great tactical coach. I don't think he was. Um, but he, like you said, he maybe got away with it up to a point, and then it became more difficult. But I, I do think I that other circumstances were there as well at that time to make it make it more difficult for him. Yeah. Go on, Melvin. Can I also, also add? Go ahead. Sorry. Just one thing. Sorry to interrupt. Just one thing, not only was he not perhaps uh, as good tactically as some of the other coaches that were coming along, at that time, Chelsea become big money bags. Yeah, not just Man United to worry about to spend more then. Not only we had to spend much less because of the stadium, all of a sudden Chelsea were on, come on the scene and they could just blow us out of the water. And later on in life, then Man City came on the scene. So it wasn't just tactics. I think a few things went against him. I... I would much, much rather watch a Wenger team playing football the way Wenger wanted it to be played than any tactical football at all. You know, I would, I I, I would, I would have that any day of the week. I I find the, you know, the the really tactical type of football so boring. I would go back to that. It was, it was exhilarating that that Wenger team in full flight. Exhilarating oh, yeah. to watch, yeah. so yeah. exciting! It's unbelievable, and I would I would have that any day of the week. And the thing is, with the regards to not not coaching on the sidelines, he um, had a firm firm belief that he shouldn't. He wanted his players to be intelligent enough to work things out for themselves on the pitch, and mm. that was his firm belief. So that's why he didn't stand at the sidelines barking orders all, all the time. Right, but anyway. I totally get your point, though, Michael. Uh, Mike, um, sorry, I, I, but I would, I would have his that exhilarating football any day over. So would I. Football. So would I, Andrew, and I totally agree with you. So would I, and that's even under Arteta. I love Arteta. The football is a little bit robotic, and it's passing patterns. Yeah, it's highly exactly, yeah. But here's the little twist for me: is that Andrew's right? Um, that football was more fun. It was more enjoyable. And would I like to watch it? For sure I would. But you don't control both teams on the field, though. And when football became tactical and the opponents and the opposing coaches became more tactical, Wenger didn't respond to that because I don't think he had the tools to. Hence why Arsenal, for a decade, were wide open in the back. And he didn't ever respond to that. So you knew when Arsenal went one goal down on the counter-attack against a good team, it was two, it was three. And it was over and over and over again that... Oh, gosh, mm. I've just advertised your channel there, Richard. Um, and um, anyway, so I just feel that uh, as much as the romance of loving his football is still in my heart and I love him and I love football, when the opponent throws a different challenge at you, you have no choice. You have to adapt, mm-hmm. otherwise you get run over. And I think that's why it just fell away and away and away and away because he didn't adapt because I don't think he was tactically capable of adapting. He needed a team that was ready to go, best team in the league, um, and he didn't have that team at the time, so he wasn't suited uh, to Arsenal. And the other piece, and, the, and then I'll, I'll sign off, is um, 
you know, he was given all these offers to manage other teams in other countries. And I'm not sure this has ever been mentioned a whole lot, but, you know, he never took any of those. And maybe he did stay because Arsenal is number one in his heart. I've never been entirely sure of that. The English press uh, never, ever ask tactical questions. No pundits ever ask tactical questions. No journalists ever ask tactical questions. And when I moved abroad, and I've moved abroad a few times, you go to other countries, all the people, the journalists, the press, the pundits, all want to ask tactical questions. And Arsene Wenger was never comfortable with that. And I think that that was the number one reason. I know it goes against the romantic. That was the number one reason he actually stayed at Arsenal was because he wouldn't have survived in the other countries because there's, the leagues are more tactical and you get questioned by the press every day on tactics. And that doesn't happen in the Premier League. Never has. And until they change it, it never will. Another reason he never yeah. left Arsenal was a couple of reasons. Number one, like you say, he wouldn't get challenged. Number two, Arsenal had a lot of fat on his body, didn't he? He could afford not to produce for a few years and he wasn't going to get the sack. That's number two. And number three, he was also paid top dollar. Yeah. So I think there's not just the uh, tactic side of it. That he didn't best go paid, best paid manager in the world at one point, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but he did, did, I, did, I, I suppose he earned that, though, didn't he, by the success oh, that absolutely, he Absolutely, yeah. But in, one thing I'll disagree that. with is that he did adapt because he completely changed that team from when Vieira left. We went from big, powerful midfield players, um, ball carriers with pay, with power and pace, uh, to a team of midgets just uh, knocking the ball around. He, he, he completely changed the Spanish way of playing, uh, the tiki-taka mm. type of football, uh, where we all got really frustrated, whereby we just weren't shooting. We were trying to pass the ball into the net, if you remember. Yeah, and yeah. That's a, that was a complete turnaround, tactics-wise, from one to the other. Um, well, after the after the team disbanded, pretty much after, in two thousand and six. Yeah, that was well, more style reasons. of play, though, Andrew. I think wasn't it that was he he chose a different style of play and a different type of mm. player. I'm just talking about the tactics that the opponent throws at you oh, during no, the game. I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, don't yeah. Disagree and I think with that yeah, at all. Paul, Paul touches on it here as well. I mean, he does mention in his book about you know he he didn't coach to the op opposition's weaknesses. Um, and sometimes you have to, don't you? Because you have to do that. And, uh, and maybe that's one thing. I mean, Wenger does say that in his book that he, he never looks at the other team's weaknesses. He just tries to look to his own strengths, so his own team. And sometimes that maybe did, did cost us, you know. Um, and I think Jonathan touched on it as well. You know, that game against Man City he's talking about when we won 2 0 and we went there with a plan to win that game, which is something that Wenger very, very rarely did, did he? He didn't go to player to win a game he went there to play the Arsenal way well, that, that's um, what and, I loved about him I loved, yeah, no, I loved I, that I did about well. him it, it, it cost us, it did cost I, us I, games didn't it it did cost us yeah, absolutely absolutely and it's wrong the reason when he made the change but, the reason that tick attack football didn't work was two reasons number one we had a poor poor defence all that time so we yeah. couldn't afford to lose the ball and number yeah. two we never had Messi up front Apart from that, it was perfect. <laughs> I, I, honestly, <laughs> if I, I think if we didn't move stadiums, if we just stopped at the beautiful, beautiful Highbury, we would have just carried on winning. Yeah, we would. Do you think so? Yeah, well, for because we, time, we, we would we would we would have constantly bought good good replacements for for players. We wouldn't have had to sell all our crown jewels and our captain every year. Richard, I've got to run now. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys, it was a pleasure see, uh, seeing yeah, you. Nice to speak to you again, Mike. Good luck with your channel, Mike. Good luck, Thanks, guys, with your channel. Thank yeah, you, guys. Yeah, coming on, Mike. Yeah, take it easy, man. Any time. See you soon.
Yeah, so Mike's off. He's doing another. He's doing another show on his own channel. So you know, he's busy, busy man. He's got to leave us. But it was great to have uh, to have Mike on there, yeah, listening to his to his thoughts as well about it all. Very, very, very good uh, points that he made as well. Um, yeah, but uh, so I mean, I, I just feel Wenger does deserve perhaps more respect than he's been getting, certainly from a, a, a large section of Arsenal fans. Even now, mm. two nearly two years later, when, when he's when he's left, um, in fact, more than two years since he's left, it doesn't even seem that long ago, does it? But um, I don't know. I'll always, for me, it'll always be, it'll always be number one. I think um, just because of what he, what he brought really to, to to Arsenal, things I never thought I'd ever see. You know, we had success before with George Graham and whatnot, which was great, but he took it to another level for a long time. And for that reason alone, I will always have massive respect for Arsenal. And I say I believe he's up there in the top three or four. Um, most important people in the whole history of Arsenal, and oh, I think definitely. a Premier League, like a, a, a English yeah. football. Uh, you know, the, well, yeah, English football, but in particular in Arsenal's history. Without Arsene Wenger, the club wouldn't. And, and he's right. What he said the other day, I heard him on that on the, at the podium when he said that. You know, from where Arsenal were as a club in nineteen ninety six to where they were in two thousand eighteen when he left, the club had, had evolved and moved so much further forward. I know football had changed, and it was inevitable that it would happen. But he was. He was part of that process and he was the main driving force behind the, the change and bringing the club where it is today. And any success that we now go on and have in the future is because of the the success that Arsene Wenger brought us in the early days, the move to the stadium and to put us in a position where we're able to go on, hopefully in the future, and have a lot more success. In the same way that maybe what Herbert Chapman brought us in the 30s, every success we've had since then has been because of that. And I think going forward now, any success that we have in the future will be down to what Arsene Wenger brought us initially. And I think everybody needs to just accept that. And whether or not you agree with the way he left and this, that and the other, the last few years wasn't great. We'll all admit that. But he did the best he could do, I believe, with what he had at his disposal. Um, and yeah, he, maybe, he maybe stayed a year or two too long. Just to, yeah, just to clarify, when I said that as well, it's not because I didn't want him at the club anymore or anything like that. I, hmm. When I said he should have left a bit, a bit earlier than he did, the reason I said that is because... I just hated looking at him, feeling looking just like a broken yeah. man on, on the sidelines, yeah. and yeah. all the abuse he was getting. And it, it, I just wanted to cry for him. I just felt so sorry for the bloke, and that yeah. is the reason why I think he should have gone earlier. Because the the abuse he was getting from the, our own fans was mm. horrendous and totally, totally unnecessary. And I just, I just felt gutted for the guy. I, I really I did. Don't and that's think why. Any of I, that is why I wished he, he could have gone earlier because I, w I didn't want to see him going through it all. 